Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Our conversation today will focus in on the outlook for rates and the prospects for fixed income total return in the second half of 2021 in light of the anticipated policy path forward from the Fed and anticipated economic conditions over the next several months. So joining me here on the line for the conversation today, glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, a Leslie Falconio, Senior Fixed Income Income Strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So, Leslie, welcome back. Thank you for joining us and looking forward to our conversation today. Thank you, Dan. So, Leslie, I know as we like to do on a monthly basis, we talk about the Fixed Income Strategist publication, the flagship piece, which you run lead on. And within the piece for the month of July, you do spend some time reflecting on the June FOMC meeting. And during that meeting, officials conveyed a hawkish policy path forward, including the potential for two rate hikes in 2023, as well as QE tapering to commence in 2022. So, uh, Leslie, I'm curious, what are the implications of this stance, this path forward to fixed income investors, and has your rate outlook at all changed as a result of what we've heard from the Fed recently? Well, we labeled the this month's fixed income strategist rechecking the pulse, and, and we did that because of the shift in sentiment that the market was conveying post the FOMC meeting. And as you mentioned, Dan, you know, the, mar- the market was a bit surprised with the two expected rate hikes with the dot plot in March of 2023. And there was a shift in sentiment that the market was feeling that, A, the Fed would not allow inflation to run hot, if you will, for an extended period of time. And they would pre- be preemptive by hiking rates. And the, and the market also, you know, perceived this as sort of a slowly draining of the punch bowl and that, you know, accommodation you know, whether, it, you know, particularly monetary accommodation would be on its way down going forward. And the reason what we wanted to do in this piece is just really take a look at the bigger picture in the sense that, one, you know, we did feel that the market's reaction was a little bit overly done. And this was partly due to technical reasons, because I had mentioned <clears throat> a lot of investors were caught off guard by the more progressive, I should say, stance of the Fed. And, you know, our conclusion was, was that, Yes, I mean, you know, the market is growing, you know, we do expect the second quarter GDP uh, to be the peak in growth, but that doesn't mean that growth is not going to be strong going forward. It's still going to be very strong going forward, given the fact that we anticipate a 2021 growth outlook of, you know, six and a half plus percent and a 22 outlook in GDP, you know, <clears throat> a five plus percent. So growth is still going to be strong. It's just this is we're just passing the peak growth. And our view on interest rates to this point was that the market was really overreacting to the to the Fed, you know, surprise, if you will. And it really didn't change our path in terms of, you know, interest rates going higher. I mean, granted, the short term, particularly as we saw last week, as we went close to that 1.25% 10-year yield, you know, it definitely caught people off guard. And for those that have more of a steepening bias, more of a rate and interest rates rising bias, such as we do, you know, to see that kind of move is not always comfortable, but we felt, you know, fairly confident, and we still do feel confident, that it would, that, that move will not be sustained. So overall, we still expect interest rates to rise into the end of the year. We have Jackson Hole coming up next month. We have the Fed coming up in a couple of weeks. And we do think that this accommodation is going to remain going forward. I mean, even with the potential of them announcing a taper at the end of the year to start in the first quarter of 22, investors have to remember that they're just pulling back on what they're buying, but they're still reinvesting those cash flows that mature. And that's really the key, that liquidity and accommodation will stay 
It's just going to be pulling back a little bit on the amounts they're buying. Following up on something you mentioned just a few moments ago, this is with respect to economic conditions. So you mentioned how the U.S. has reached peak growth in the second quarter. So within the strategist, you point out how investor attention will shift to the catch-up recovery in Europe over the course of the second half of 2021. So Leslie, how might this catch-up in growth in Europe influence U.S. treasuries? Well, I mean, investors have been really focused on, obviously, you know, the, the U.S. central bank, in, in which they should. But, you know, interest rates don't work in a silo. And there's a globalization of interest rates that occurs all the time. And, you know, even though the U.S. is, you know, reached its peak growth in the second quarter of, of 21, the same can't be said for Europe. And as we know, that during the first quarter, the success of the, the vaccine rollout in the U.S. was not experienced in Europe. They still experienced intermittent shutdowns while the path of reopening was much more smooth here in the U.S. So when we think about, you know, how the influence is going forward in terms of what influences U.S. interest rates, it's not just about U.S. And although we recognize that, you know, things like, you know, uh, regions like Asia and the U.S. are a little bit more ahead of the curve in terms of the growth outlook, Europe still has some catching up to do. And there and there is a correlation between the moves, say, in the German tenure and the U.S. tenure. And so you can't look at U.S. interest rates as just a silo because that's not the way the market moves anymore. It's more globalized. So one of the influences that we see, particularly in the second half of the year, as Europe continues to recover, even though they have and they have a very supportive ECB, as we saw this last week, that, you know, we think interest rates will continue continue higher in, in say, like the German tenure. And this will also influence U.S. interest rates higher as we go into the second half of the year. Again, it's one of very many variables that we think pushes U.S. interest rates higher um, as we head into the end of the year. But again, you can't think of U.S. rates as just a silo. Okay, so Leslie, maybe we can check in on returns for a moment. So as you pointed out within the publication, the rise in interest rates clearly negatively impacted total return during the first half of 2021. Uh, though, Leslie, can you highlight for us which sectors yielded positive year-to-date total return and why? Yeah, I mean, listen, over the longer term, there's going to be two influences of total return. There's going to be a price change and there's going to be your income earned. And over the long term, income outweighs price, right? However, when we go through these short-term rises in interest rates, particularly the large rise that we saw in the first quarter, obviously, as yields rise and prices goes down, you know, that kind of short-term is a big headwind to your total return. But as we've seen, as we wrote about, particularly from, you know, this past, you know, couple weeks, that price return has actually, you know, had some give back in terms of not being so negative because interest rates have come down. Now, most most often than not, those the sectors that are high grade sectors, investor grade corporates, U.S. Treasuries, have the most interest rate risk. So those are the ones that really are going to be impacted by rising interest rates. The others, such as a high yield, which is shorter duration, or a senior loan, which is floating rate, you know, they don't have as much interest rate component with, embedded within their price performance or total return performance. So therefore, the best asset classes that have really returned positively are those that have a little bit more credit embedded with them, given the fact that we've had this large spread tightening throughout the year as we've had this accommodation, quest for yield. So those those sectors that have a bit more credit component and not as much interest rate component, and on top of the fact of having six months of good carry, are the ones that have turned positively you know, over the course of 2021. 
while those sort of safe havens, if you will, have felt the brunt of rising interest rates. Leslie, sticking with allocation as a closing point, in terms of preferences, you do reiterate your preference for senior loans, a senior loans being your most favored preference, as well as CMBS, while you do maintain a least preferred view on high-grade sectors. So can you take a moment to walk us through your thinking there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first off, there's no question that the opportunity set within fixed income is not very wide right now, right? I mean, most assets classes when it comes to a spread, those that have a spread component to them, even if you're high grade, like an an investment grade corporate or an agency CMBS, they have compressed. I mean, a lot of this accommodation, whether it's fiscal or monetary, and, you know, has has kept investors who have a tremendous amount of cash on the sideline constantly chasing, you know, um, what we call spread assets or risk assets to try and earn incremental yield instead of keeping their money in cash because it just helps on a total return basis. Now, when we think about where we are right now, we still like those sectors because our view is that interest rates will rise into the end of the year because we do we, we are positive on things like, you know, um, you know, energy and commodities because we do think that, you know, some of these sectors within the, the, the real lower tiers um, have really run its course. We're going for things such as senior, for senior loans because it's low rate right nature and it's a tremendous sort of you know, hedge, quote-unquote, if you will, against potential rising inflation. And as a 0.9% CPI that we saw today, you know, we can't say that this sort of um, path to, you know, inflation is is not necessarily over. It might be transitory, but it's not done yet, given today's CPI report. So we do like that senior loan sector as a floating rate sector. It's very good carry, and has, and, has, and it does not have, you know, that interest rate risk, which we, we do believe you know, will continue into the end of the year. The second category, again, has to do with the CMBS side, and particularly on the agency side. Now, again, as we wrote in the FIS, and as we did note, I mean, there, we, we're, we're, we're putting this in as more of a, again, an inflation type of hedge because of the commercial real estate. You know, we would do more of a high grade in the non-agency side and the agency CMBS. But one of the things that we pointed out is we cannot say at this stage that these are incredibly, you know, cheap because they're not. However, they do offer that protection that we like in terms of maybe having a little bit more interest rate risk, you know, in case the market corrects as it did this past week. However, having it in a sector that we believe still has a little bit more room to tight to, you know, outperform is really is much more of a um, has much more of a tailwind to the to returns if in fact if in fact inflation does go higher. So those are really our two sectors in that barbell approach: senior loans and CMBS. But again. You know, as we as we go through the fixed income and fixed income opportunity set, you know, there's no question that there's nothing glaring out there that we say that we can say is incredibly cheap. But, you know, that's really universal across most sectors. Well, Leslie, very helpful and productive conversation today, sharing with us everything from your rate outlook to your current thinking on allocation and the role fixed income should play in a portfolio today. We'll look forward to picking back up the conversation again with you soon. Thank you, Dan. I appreciate it. Thank you, Leslie. And again, today we've been joined by Leslie Falconio, Senior Fixed Income Strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. As a reminder to our clients and listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. Uh, These resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO. Of course, that includes the publication which Leslie has been 
been making reference to during our conversation today, uh, that being the monthly fixed income strategist flagship publication, a title for the month of July, Rechecking the Pulse. So for clients of UBS, you can also contact your financial advisor if you would like to learn more about today's topics or receive a copy of the publication directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.